HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. On today's episode, we talk to Sol Han, the chef behind Little Mad, the recently opened Korean-American restaurant in Koreatown in partnership with Hand Hospitality. He talks to us about his combination of Korean heritage and favorite nostalgic dishes and his training in French and Italian kitchens to redefine what new American cuisine can be. Then we head back into our archives to share a special performance from one of our faves, Thick. So sit back, relax, and here's another episode of Snacky Tunes on HRN. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. Today, we are joined by Sol Han of the recently opened Little Mad in Koreatown in New York. Sol, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yes. Um, you grew up, you were born in Korean group in New York. Can you give me a little bit of background on your heritage, um, what you grew up eating, uh, what you found in the kitchen, and some of the you know favorite dishes from childhood? So I grew up in Korea. I was born in Korea, raised in Seoul until I was seven. Then I moved to New York. Um, and growing up, it was very weird because I moved to the suburbs, Stony Brook, Long Island. And I grew up eating my parents' food, which is pretty much rice and banchan and some kind of stew or soup. 
which is very Korean. Um, we always eat a bowl of rice, some kind of soup, and a bunch of side dishes, which is called banchan. Um, so I loved it. At the same time, I hated it because I grew up around a white community where it was cool to eat Brussels sprouts and pasta and dry pork. And I didn't know that it, that was not as good as Korean food growing up. And I wanted to eat more American food. I wanted to eat hamburgers. Um, so I tried to eat more hamburgers. I tried to eat more pork chops and because I hung out with my friends a lot. And I was eating dinner at their houses a lot because my parents were always at work. They actually own a Japanese restaurant back in the day. That's how I got started cooking. Um, so... Yeah, that's what I ate growing up. I kind of ate everything. But as I grew older, it's in my blood and I just crave Korean food more. And it's not that I crave Korean food more. I, I just have a craving for Korean food at least once a week, let's just say. Um, and it's just so much flavor and it's just so much deeper than a hamburger where you have I don't know. It's just, you know, generation, like just having kimchi and rice and it's just deeper. It just, it just, it's just in me. So yeah, I mean, I, that's what I ate growing up. Um, and it's the story of so many chefs now um, who were the, the children of immigrants, you know, they open up their lunch and it was like a supposedly stinky or not appropriate or exactly. weird. When did you make the mental flip to be like, Nope, this food is great. And, you know, did there, was there any guilt with kind of shunning it as you were growing up? 1000%. Um, I never took Korean food to lunch in at school or anything. Cause it's going to be stinky. And it's not that it's stinky. Like there is Korean food. That's not stinky. Like you can make like fried rice. It's not going to be stinky. Um, but I changed because I left for school, you know, I, I, after graduating high school, I, I went to CIA, Culinary Institute of America, and going over there, um, it taught me a lot more about my background and my, you know, what I grew up eating, my, the cuisine that I, that I need, uh, pretty much need, I would say. I feel like every, everyone has their own, you know, cultural background that until they leave home, they don't understand how good it is and how much you almost need it or so graduated from culinary school and then living on my own. As soon as I graduated culinary school, I moved to Miami and that's when it really hit me because in Miami, there's no Korean food whatsoever. There's barely any Asian food. <laughs> I mean, it's, and it's crap. Um, so when my parents came and visited for a hot second, it was funny cause I went to the airport to pick them up and they literally brought, a rice cooker and i was just like this is it almost i almost had to shed some tears because it was just like oh my god this is like real um and they brought a rice cooker with them they brought kimchi and they brought a bunch of stuff to make it was actually for myself and the chef de cuisine at scarpetta um and they came they cooked us dinner and it was just like it really hit home and becoming a cook becoming a chef is when I really understood, like, you, 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 you need your own food. You need to understand that, like, as a Korean, you eat kimchi, you, you not eat kimchi, but you crave kimchi, you crave rice and all that because, you know, that's just the way it is. I, yeah. Going into the CIA, CIA uh, with your parents owning a Japanese restaurant and growing up with uh, Korean cuisine, what was your technique like and what did you have to learn in school uh was there a big adaptation or were you still kind of like a tabla rosa and able to pick up the more traditional french culinary schools skills i honestly i try to take it all in when i went to culinary school i was still very young and i was still very you know i, I was an amateur cook trying to become a chef i guess but it takes years to become a chef so um for me, because I did work in my parents' restaurant for a, a while before going to culinary school, I feel like I 
adapted to change very, very fast. It came more natural for me to pick up a knife and to learn what a brunoise is, learn how to, you know, julienne carrots and kind of learn how to saute a chicken and then roast a chicken. Like just, it came more naturally for sure. Whereas I saw some culinary students now thinking um, they're struggling. It's cooking is not easy. Every like, especially right when I was going to culinary school, cooking was kind of blowing up and it was becoming kind of, it was like a trend. It was trendy to become a chef and like, you know, Iron Chef America was coming alive. Iron Chef Original was like Food Network was blowing up and like it was becoming cool to become a chef. And people like thought they could just go to culinary school and pick it up like this and become a chef where it takes so long to actually become a chef. You need to not just know how to cook, but you need to know how to expedite. You need to know food costs, labor. There's just so much built behind it that, yeah, I mean, culinary school. But I still say as a young, as a young person trying to become a cook, trying to become a chef, you should definitely go to culinary school because it will build a foundation and the, and the building blocks to becoming, you know, a great chef in the future. You left Miami uh, and ended up eventually in New York and you worked at some of the top restaurants in the city. Uh, tell me about the experiences. Where did you work and what were some of the lessons and skills that you picked up finally when you got into those kitchens? So I, my first restaurant I worked at was called Scarpetta. Um, obviously, there's Scarpetta here in New York. There's Scarpetta, a lot of Scarpettas. But I moved to Miami in the beginning because it was just nice weather. And I used to go there when I was younger, during high, when I was in high school, middle school, for vacation. And, it, and I was like, why not? I'm young. Let me just move away from my parents for a little bit. And then while I was working in Miami, I worked throughout all the stations and – the chef over there is actually from New York, and he was like, my brother is opening up a little restaurant. It's like a gastropub in Brooklyn. Are you interested in being the chef over there? So I moved back to New York, worked in Brooklyn uh, at a restaurant called The St. Austere. They were open for like 10 years. They just closed, I think. Um, but I I was the chef de cuisine over there, but I felt it was, I was only 20. One, 22 years old, and I was just like, it's, I'm not ready. I need to be learning. I need to, you know, keep learning and be taught versus trying to teach at such a young age. And it was just, I just knew it was, it was not the right gig for me. So I left over there, and then I jumped on to another French-Italian restaurant called Ifiori. After leaving Scarpetta, it just made sense to work at another Italian restaurant. Um, so I went to Ifiori by Chef Michael White. Um, that was an amazing restaurant. Um, this was like almost 10 years ago. It was, they have a Michelin star, three, three stars, New York Times review. It was just really, really, really hopping back in the day. Um, so I joined the team, stayed there for about a year and a half. And I transferred to Michael White's Steakhouse, which is called Costada. Um, still the same chef, still very high end, um, upscale, I would say. And I got promoted to be a sous chef there. Um, worked at Costada for like a year and a half. Then I moved back to Ifiori as a sous chef. Um, so all in all, I worked at like Ifiori uh, under Michael White for about five, six years. Um, it was a great experience because they just, you know, they they had enough expense to buy the highest high end product and kind of let let us let us chefs do what we want you know kind of we got to cook what we want we got to play with a lot of food that's how you need to you know use your imagination and be very creative because if you go to a smaller restaurant and their budget is so low you're not able to cook what you want you have to kind of follow the follow the menu and the direction that they're going for versus if you go to a you know 
upscale restaurant with a with a big budget you get you get to bring in specialty items and you get to be really creative and become the chef that you're going to be in the future anyway so after that after i fiori i went to a restaurant called um zuma because i wanted to learn japanese because japanese cuisine is not like french italian it's has another flavor it's umami umami is like the depth, um, something that's like, I want to say, in between the flavors of cured and fermented. It's just like the next level of taste. Um, and I want to learn how the Japanese do it. Um, and a lot of it is soy sauce based, I would say. Um, and soy sauce is a beautiful thing. Um not that I'm Asian, but it's just really, really tasty. You put soy sauce on anything, it's probably going to be tasty. It, it literally can punch sauce. up. It can punch up any dish. It, it's a secret weapon. Exactly. So I wanted to learn that those flavors, how the Japanese do it, how the Asian people do it. And it really – I was only there for one year, but it really taught me a lot because they just play with a complete different – different ingredients it's like it's, it's a whole other world um and i loved it and i experienced a lot um after zuma i actually opened up uh, a noodle bar called jeju noodle bar very short after jeju noodle bar i went to scampi as the executive sous chef um scampi is an italian restaurant I, I guess i cooked in a lot of italian restaurants but a italian restaurant in the flat iron district um I stay there very, very short because I, I I wasn't happy. But a lot of fun again. Uh, fresh homemade pastas, homemade sauces, nice fun crudo section. After that, I went to work at Le Cuckoo, which was my right before uh, Little Mad. I was at Le Cuckoo for about a year and a half before the pandemic shut us down. Um, but I went over there as the executive sous chef, classic French restaurant, Daniel Rose. Um, he's the executive chef. The chef de cuisine was Justin Bogle. Super, super talented team doing badass food. And, yeah, that's where it led me up to. And, yeah. Amazing. We're going to take a quick musical break, play a song from the archives, and then we'll be back with Solhan to talk about his next endeavor, Little Mad here on Snacky Tunes on HRN.
we just got your incredible history. You've got Italian, you've got French, you've got Japanese, you've got Korean, uh, you've got professional training, you've got you know behind the station training. You are just uh, an amalgam of all of these different influences. Uh, Little Mad, your first kind of your debut solo restaurant, um, combines your heritage and your professional experience. How did you synthesize everything? How did you run all of those inputs to one cohesive vision? Well, first, our concept, we wanted to do New York style food, New York food, because that's where you could really, New York is so cultural. It's multicultural. There's there's everything, literally. So we want to make it new American. First of all, it's new American, meaning we could cook whatever we want. I could just go to the market, Union Square Market, pick up some vegetables, put it on the menu tonight. And as long as I have a, some kind of inspiration or flair from either Korean, we try to stay true to Korean, not like true, but some kind of flair or a little spark. Um, so Little Mad has all of that. Um, it has the French technique. It has Italian technique, Italian ingredients. But at the end of the day, we definitely try to spark a little Korean because I, I wanted to bring bring it to a full 360 and cook my my cultural food, my heritage, um, which is Korean. And my, it's fun. You know, it's fun. It Being new American restaurant, being able to cook whatever we want for the day and kind of using the French technique, but putting our, on our, our own spin to it. You know, we just want to have fun at the end of the day. We, I, you know, everyone here that works at little mad has worked in fine dining restaurants has worked in Michelin star restaurants. We want to take all of that stuffiness out and we still want to give you really fun time, great service, amazing food. And that's what we're doing at little Matt, you know, what is a example of a Korean dish that has run through the French technique that really elevates that dish? What do we got? Um, we have a bunch. I mean, just starting with the torsion, uh, we have a pig's head torsion. Um, so in Korea, they would, it's called pyonyuk. Pyonyuk is any kind of pressed meat and they could use either pig's head, pig's feet or cow, um, and just cook it, braise it low and slow. That's what we do here. We get the whole pig's head. We brine it overnight and we braise it with some mirepoix and some aromatics and then, just like how the French do, instead of putting it in a terrine, we roll it into a torchon. And then, using that torchon, like pyonyuk, um, we have a market green salad. And then we use a yangyum dressing, which is like a sweet, salty, spicy Korean dressing that's usually eaten with meat. Um, and we recreate the French technique and the Korean flavors. And when it combines... It's just really, really fun and delicious. Um, so yeah, that's some of the technique that we like to use. Um, even our kalbi over here, which is marinated short rib, um, we use prime short rib, and then we finish with brown butter because why the hell not? Because Korean people are not using brown butter, but if you do the marinated short rib, marinate it in onion, garlic, soy sauce, sesame oil, scallion, ginger, pineapple to break it down kiwi to break it down and just bring all the flavors we marinate it for 24 hours and then we confit garlic after we grill it we slice it we put a little confit garlic and then we put a little brown butter on it korean people don't put brown butter on it but we like to incorporate those technique to really elevate the flavor and create depth um and it's fun it's delicious you touched on this um a little bit but i, I want to go deeper on this idea of new American, um, you know, if you were to say it to, depending on who you might say it to, when I think of new American, I might think steak, burgers, what, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and what you're really touching on is that America is a, a multicultural place. Uh, well, it depends who you ask, but to, to, to us, it's a multicultural place. And American food is now 
such a wide definition. So instead of just calling this new Korean, you're calling it new American. Talk to me about the definition and, and how you are really pushing, pushing that idea and concept out there. New American to me as a chef versus new American to, I guess, a regular pedestrian just going out to eat. As a chef to say new American, I feel like you could use literally – America is a blend of everything. It's a melting pot of every single culture. So why can't new American be a little bit of Korean, a little bit of French, a little bit of Japanese, a little bit of Italian? Exactly kind of what we're doing at Little Mad with our spin to make it New York style, what we've been cooking. Um, so new American to me, when you say burgers, hot dogs, pasta, it's kind of boring. Why don't we elevate new American, especially the way New Yorkers do. We, we have our own spin on it. It's just New York flair, New York touch. It's got a little bit more swag. And I feel like the way we do it here at Little Mad we want to not have a – we want to break the box. You know, We want to do whatever the hell we want. Um, excuse my language. And why not put bone marrow on rice that's seasoned with soy sauce? You know what I mean? Like why not? That is that New American? I think so. You know, at the end of the day, Korean people are not putting bone marrow on the rice. So one of the, our most popular dishes is our rice dish. So it's a seasonal mushroom. It's all imported from Korea. We roast it, toss in a maple soy, put it on top of rice that's been buttered, and then we finish with bone marrow. So, and on top of that, we put perilla leaves, which is wild sesame leaf, which is the most used herb in Korea. So that right there is super American of putting bone marrow, but what is American at the end of the day? It's everything. It's a melting pot. Yeah. So. We're creating dishes that's like a melting pot. We're using mushrooms from Korea. We're using soy sauce that's Asian. We're using bone marrow that's mostly used in America, I would say. Yes. <laughs> and I'm using butter to butter my rice. Like, what the hell? That's a melting pot in its own right there. I really love People it. People just I mean, don't understand that. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry, to, no, sorry to cut you off. It just, you know, especially you thinking like, I'm just going to, pop on down for those who don't know you're you know walking distance from the the farmers market at union square and just to be like what's fresh you know what are my farmers from upstate or from new jersey what are they bringing me what cheeses are here and just really being inspired and then like running it through your you know professional training and your korean heritage it just sounds uh it just sounds so it sounds so awesome um i want to get to the menu a little bit more in depth in a second but um uh while this is your your debut, you are in partnership with uh, Han Hospitality. Her name is Han, easily one of my favorite restaurants in the last you know few years of, of being open. How did the partnership come together, um, and you know what are they bringing to the, the table? So Han Hospitality Group, they own twelve restaurants right now, and they're going to be opening up like four more by the end of this year. Um, so before the pandemic, I had a different partner and I was looking up who's going to do the interior design for my restaurant, for my other restaurant that I was going to open up. And I got connected and, and the pandemic happened. I'm going to tell you very short. Um, pandemic happened and then that got, uh, that, got, uh, that got put on hold. And then the interior designer was like, oh, you want to meet the CEO of Hand Hospitality? I met up with him. We clicked right away. We're both Korean. He's Korean-Korean. I'm Korean-American. We both like to drink. So we would hang out a lot, and it just clicked. And it was just like, yeah, you know, why not? Let's 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 open up a restaurant together. So I went to the Hand Hospitality uh, headquarters, and I did a tasting. I did like 12 dishes, three sides, and they loved it. And we moved forward very fast from there. Um, and they had this restaurant, which is a little mad. The previous restaurant was called On. Um, On was a hot pot restaurant. And it's pretty much ready to go. We came in. We stained the ceilings, put new tables, opened up the kitchen. So it's an open kitchen. We, we did pretty minor work to, you know, literally two months in, we were open. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, we were blessed to hire an amazing team. Every single, I, I hired an entire staff during the middle of a pandemic in one week. And I had every single person here ready to go. Um, and what Han brings to the table is, you know, Han has a amazing operating system pretty much. They have branding, marketing, they have a test kitchen, they have R&D team. Um, and they're just, they have so much experience and knowledge and why not, why not partner up with a restaurant, a restaurant group that has Michelin stars already like Jua, Ada Boy, Ada Mix, like they, her name is Han. They're all very popular and they have so many more Korean restaurants that usually like not a lot of people know of. They all know about Ada Boy, Ada Mix, but like they have amazing restaurants. Mew is a Kaya. Everyone should go check out all these restaurants. It's just delicious. They do it right. They do it very, very well. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. Um, let's talk about this menu. Um, it, I, I just, I, I want to eat all of it. <laughs> um, also, the design of it is really cool. I love the little iconography on it. Um, anyone can just check it out online. Um, I want to just pick out uh, chicken or the egg. I think like this to me is probably you know you've said fun. Uh, this looks like one of the most fun dishes on there. Uh, can you explain how you came to it and, and what's on the plate? First off, the chicken or the egg, Just it just sounds fun, you know what I mean? The chicken or the egg. So we wanted to do a stuffed chicken wing, um, but it's called donggurangteng. Donggurangteng is a meatball in Korea. Every culture has their own meatball. The Italians have meatball. Uh the French have crepinette. The Korean, we have thing, which is a meatball. Instead of just giving you a meatball that's Korean, we wanted to stuff it into a chicken, which is pain in my butt because I have to debone like one case, 40 pounds of chicken every day. Um, but so we make the meatball, we stuff it into a chicken. The stuffing has a little bit of foie gras, a little bit of confit shallot, some herb, and some candied korean dates um so we stuff it in we close it we roast it we glaze it with a little bit of honey mustard and then we put egg on top the egg is cured egg yolk that's been cured for for one week it's cured in salt sugar and black peppercorn and we grate it just like parmesan cheese it gives it some death saltiness and that eggy flavor so we wanted to make it Called the chicken or the egg, but make it our own twist. It's kind of fun, you know. It's amazing. Um, the last thing I want to touch on is it wouldn't be a snacky tunes episode without us asking you about the playlist. What are you hearing in the play in the in the in the room? What's on the list? What motivates the diners? What motivates the staff? The playlist music. Um, I I create the playlist um, because I want everyone to come here and just chill out i don't want them you know i want them to be themselves when they come eat i don't want them to ever feel like you know you're at a formal dining room or anything like that which is not um a lot of people say we're the fine line right before fine dining and too casual so we're upscale casual um the playlist i play a lot of old school hip-hop um some biggie smalls some most def a little bit of tupac here and there um tribe called quest that's the music i listened to growing up and that's why i want to play in the dining room i want all of this to be me you know like how we are as little mad you know um yeah so it's it's all of us in the restaurant and this is what we're giving you guys awesome well chef uh i want to thank you so much for joining us um how can people find you how can they come eat at your restaurant uh how do they get a hold of you you can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook, Google, Yelp, um, <laughs> and just yeah, you could come right down the street, one ten Madison Avenue. Here we are, right in between twenty ninth and thirtieth Madison Ave. Yeah, uh, amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we are going to play another song from the archives, and then we'll be back with the second half of Snacky Tunes here on HRN. Thank you. 
This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back. We have Thick live in studio. Nikki, Sherry, Kate, welcome. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Hi. Uh, Grim Streaker and Annie Hart both said that we should have you on. So, oh, that's are. so that's sweet, sweet of them. Like, totally, they totally separately. Oh, they thanks, just said have them come on. Um, one of the interviews I read with you, you talked about how female bands are taking over the male dominated scene. <laughs> sure, <laughs> Was that me? Perhaps. That sounds like something I would say. How are, what do you think the gap is that female bands are covering that male bands are not able to do anymore? Or just uh, why do you think of theirs and rise is happening? Um, I could give an opinion from my perspective. I've been playing music here since I'm 17, like in New York City. And I was used to going on Craigslist and there were so many dude bands that were like, like, we don't want girls in the band. Like, we're just looking for guys. And I was always the only girl in an all-male band, and we would play so many shows, and it was, like, 
so dominated by by dudes all the time. And I think we saw like a, like starting a couple of years ago, like all these girl bands were like popping up, which is um, I think amazing. I think like it was a camaraderie of like everyone like communicating about what they were doing. And yeah, that became the thing. It was like now people are like dude bands like it's all about the girl bands. <laughs> so wait, um, can you ask the question again? Yeah, what What do you think um, the female bands bring to the table that the male bands were no longer bringing to the table? You go first then. <laughs> Something that I know is a safe space. Like, it's just, I don't know, um, more of an inclusion. Sometimes when I, when I first moved to New York, I'd go to shows, and I'd like, love going to any kind of show. And it was always like really aggressive. Which is fine, but almost too aggressive. Like, where up front, you just get smashed and pushed in the face. Just like, And it's fun, but it almost felt, like, violent. And it wasn't like, let's just party together. Let's, like, jump around together. It's like, I'm going to beat you up. And I felt like got, all the shows I used to go to just got more and more aggressive. And so I think that's something that I know Thick does. I can't talk for every single female-fronted band or female bands in general. But I think we bring more of a safe space of, like, respect everyone, respect their space, respect safety, like, have fun and be together and together. That's how I just feel about it. Yeah. Where it used to kind of be a girls to the front was something you would have to say, and now I feel like at our shows, at least, like, we don't ever have to say that. And anybody's up front, but now it's, like, boy, girl, anything you want to be, like, you're up front and you're included and you're you're just Uh not... You're respected. If you get crowd surfed, I feel like you always land, like, people, like, help (laughs) you land (laughs) and, like, look out for you. And I think... That women sometimes in this scene have a chip on their shoulder that men don't have. It's always been assumed that some guy can pick up a guitar and play music mm-hmm. that sounds kind of like what everyone's already played and get decent shows and be booked. But I feel like there's, at least for me and some other women I talk to, there's a sense of having to prove yourself a little bit more before you're taken seriously, which... I think just changes a lot of what we say and what we do as a band. Right. It's like, they're a girl band and they can play. Yeah. Oh, yes. like, come on. Oh, yes. <laughs> but do you feel that that is changing at all or even like slightly a little bit better? Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh-huh. Yes. We can say slightly. marginally better. Oh, I think definitely <laughs> yeah. better. I mean, the New York Times wrote an entire article about it, that yeah. women are rolling <laughs> rock music. So I think people are taking note. And that was kind of sweet because a lot of actually guys in our scene, um, came up to me and they were like, oh yeah, we were happy to see you in it. But I mean, duh, we all know that you guys, like women are kicking ass in rock music. And I was like, well, you might think that, but I think as a broader general acceptance, there's still a lot of work to be done. I think in Brooklyn, we've, it's changed a lot in the past mm-hmm. couple of years. I mean, that article came out about two months ago. Um, you said people have seen you in it, but have you seen even more response for it? Or what has kind of been the result of being in that article or, or people's perception? More people listen to our stuff on Spotify. (laughs) It seems like all different types of people like have reached out on like Instagram. Like I guess more people like following it on Spotify and like Instagram. And it's, it's not like one specific like type of person. I feel like it's all different types of people, which is really cool. So like, that's always really good to see. Do you feel that, I mean, you're still relatively young, but do you feel that there's, you know, like 15 or 14 or 16 year old girls reaching out to get influence? I want more. I I have (laughs) a little sister, she's 16. And I'm like, tell your friends that I'm your cool older sister and hang out, you know, listen to Thick. (laughs) And she doesn't really, but I I love that. She's playing guitar though. I wish when I was 16, I had women playing like this, you know? I I really, Alanis Mm -hmm. Morris, that was my thing when I go around. (laughs) I loved Alanis. But I wish, and like, I, yeah, I don't know. I just wish, I would love younger women to be like, oh man, like this is so cool. Just be inspired by it. I'll never forget the nine-year-old girl at our Richmond show who came up (laughs) after the set and talked to each one of us and was like, you know, I think you played really well. And she was just so cute and so small. And I was like, thanks. It's very sweet of you. Do you 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 play music? Do you like, she was like, I like to sing and dance. I'm like, you should keep doing that. Like definitely keep doing that because it's really fun. (laughs) She's adorable. Can we hear a song? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so this one's Bleeding. It's about getting your period, <laughs> as you do, and, like, all the chaos that comes with it. Like, you hate yourself, you hate your friends, you hate New York City. It usually happens every every month for Why me. does New York City get hated? Oh, uh. my God. <laughs> it brings it out. I was like. on my bike, and I was like, I fucking hate it. Oh, yeah. I, sorry, whatever. I hate everybody right yeah. now. And I hate the cars, I hate the people, it's too fast. And then, like, four days later, I'm like, I love this place. It's it's just part just of too having much your, stress. Yeah. Yeah. but it's like it's the beauty of having the bleeding. I love it. So that's, that's <laughs> this next song is called Bleeding. Great. Here we go live on Snacky Tunes.
You talk about your influences being Blink-182, Taking Back, Sunday. <laughs> and I'm curious how their lyrics kind of square with what you're writing about. Uh, it's just because sometimes there are like very like party boy or like uh. girlfriend type stuff. What do you pull What do you pull from them and what do you leave behind? Oh well, they're just so much fun and they don't take themselves too seriously. And when we started Thick a uh, couple what, years ago, Sherry and I, it was all about fun. And it was like a party band. It really was. Yeah, I'm was. like, I don't see enough women partying on stage and like banging their hair and all that kind of stuff and like <laughs> not taking themselves too seriously and writing like stupid songs. And like one of our first songs is Take Your Clothes Off and Party With Me. You know? Because <laughs> yeah. that was something that we would do a yeah, lot. I feel like oh. the hardest thing sometimes like being in bands is to have fun. And I feel like yeah. when I like joined Thick and I was talking to them, I was like, oh, like this is so fun. I mean, we yeah. figured out how to like have fun and not be like <laughs> well it's a balance you can have fun and still play yeah. well at right. first yeah. we would just be we would have yeah. fun and like we were fun to watch but we were not very good to listen to <laughs> and to be honest we were terrible but it was always a sh- it was always fun and it's still just as fun but now I'm like wait I've been playing guitar for so long like, uh, let's like take ourselves make a little bit seriously right. and make an effort like so we can yeah we like I think we're, we found the balance so that's why I, loved, like, <laughs> I thought they were just so funny and they didn't take themselves mm-hmm. seriously and and take yeah. them back Sunday. I don't even yeah. know. I just, also, those melodies, those melodies, I think have they've always been really easy to remember because mm-hmm. I listen to all that stuff. Like, I grew up on Long Island, like middle school, high school, and <laughs> like I don't know, they're they're super easy and fun and catchy hooks, lots yeah. of harmonies. I feel yeah. like for sure that and, definitely wears off on us. And for writing your lyrics and kind of not just being. Uh, pigeonholed as like a girl band or just writing things that how do you balance it because they're super simple but they're also really meaningful and have a lot of depth so like how did you balance to get your message apart while being fun taking yourself seriously not being put into a corner um i think there's real things that we write about i know all the songs that we have so far like i actually feel it when i write it you know or we write it together yeah. and it's like real they're extremely honest they're honest yeah and in that way i think it makes them relatable and easy for people to understand because it's a lot of the stuff that people go through is mutual. It's shareable with other audiences and regardless of like yeah. your perspective or background. And something I've been trying, like I've struggled with throughout Thick is we do write a lot of songs about love and heartbreak or just kind of fucking stuff up in relationships. And it's like, I'm like, oh, I'm, I shouldn't be writing about love because that's all women do is write about love. Like, no, that's too girly. But I'm like, wait, why are we putting down females? And what we t- it's okay to be a girl and talk about love. If all men writing about songs and love and heartbreak, why can't girls sing about it and why we pigeonholed as being a Sensitive girl band that talks about only. And so I had to struggle with that for a while. I was like, you know, fuck it. This is like real. I'm going yeah. through a heart. I'm going through a breakup right now and I want to sing about it. Or <laughs> I made a fool of myself last night talking to somebody, like some girl or boy. Like I, you know. So it's just kind of, um, yeah, it's very honest. Is like mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all the experiences also that people go through. So it's like listening back to her music it's really interesting knowing like what everyone in the band was going through with like a certain yeah. person, like relationship. And I think like that's really cool. 
It is. If they're so honest and like of a piece in time, have you now written enough songs that have enough distance that you'll sing something and be like, I'm so embarrassed. Yeah. But I went through that. <laughs> and then there's some distance. Oh, I now. hate it. Wasting my time is my least favorite song to play. I hate Why is that? Because it's about, well, it's about, I was like, it's about a breakup, a really hard one. And it's just so whiny. And it's like, oh, like, I don't even, it is angry. It's like, I, don't, I never loved you anyway, which is true, which I like that part. But I'm just like, you're leaving. It's like, shut up, Nicole. Get over it. It was, uh, that's the only song I'm like, ugh. Everyone I else likes that song. that song, though. Yeah. I mean, you gotta play it for the fans. It's like a grunge yeah. I, I feel like. Or one fan, Sherry's mom. Yeah. yeah. She's like, I really like that song, even though I can see yeah. that it's painful. She, like, relates to all of yours. And do you ever find that um, if you come to a song that's not as honest, you say that the other band members will be like, you need to go back and redo this or kind of come a little bit more correct yeah I'm like you need yeah. to face the wall and rewrite well, we'll be playing together <laughs> and like it just won't go anywhere when we have a song when we write songs it just comes so easy yeah, it, it locks, really it nice locks really in easy. it locks in or it doesn't if it's not locking in I think we like, just like move forward yeah yeah. Like, I'm like you know what I don't, I'm not really into this like it just doesn't really go anywhere we have a, quite a few of those where like it just didn't really go anywhere hit the hearts was it because the the content wasn't true or just like it just didn't come together for all the other elements well, we have a couple like actually well structured songs, but I don't. Some one song we have it's done. I don't like the melody of it. You know, I like the context. I like the words. I like the lyrics, but the, I don't like the way I sing the verses. And I haven't found a way to fix that yet. Yeah, and we've gone back and revised some older ones too, where we're like, this is great from this point on in the song, but let's just rip this apart and like give it a whole new beginning. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as you get older and you can like look back in the past, you like admit things to yourself that you couldn't at the time. So do you have to like change a few words mm. or a couple of lyrics yeah. based on like, you're like, actually I was lying Definitely. to myself then. Yeah. <laughs> I know it is. Oh, for sure. Yeah. What's, what's in the, um, uh. I'm blanking right now, but there's some songs I sing about like men and now we sing about women so it's just like that we've changed that quite a few times but that is pretty funny yeah. yeah also making certain lyrics more gender neutral overall yeah, yeah like in, in bleeding yeah it's turning yeah. more gender neutral because when we wrote it i was i was like a freaking like so unoblivious to the i was like so oblivious to the world and like the culture and society all this kind of crazy stuff i just like insensitive at times you know unintentionally insensitive so I think we're just more aware of what we're right now. When did you start making it gender neutral? Or like, was it a conscious decision or how did that evolve? <laughs> when two of us became gay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. When we, when we both started dating women, I think we've opened. I'm in, like, I've never been part of the LGBTQ world before. So now, honestly, that was a huge thing for me. I'm like, wait, I don't want to keep saying about boys because I'm in love with a woman. And I think you can talk about. Both of those things. Or whoever you're in love. So that, that will let me Yeah, it makes you more here. aware to, like, these lyrics could be for anyone. So you can, like, replace, <laughs> like, boyfriend with girlfriend or, like... It doesn't matter. Yeah, I think just we have so many friends that are, like, uh, really respectful and aware of things. I think, like, being around those people, like, it makes yeah. us aware of, like, we should totally change that. Yeah. Um, to be more inclusive. Yeah, like, we want to honor, like, everyone's feelings and, like, make them feel safe, not just And relate to this song. It's not just about, like, some girl and a boy it's like and women we say women now I try to say women yeah. but like it's just being more thoughtful <laughs> is it harder to fit in the two syllables versus girl I love saying I love saying the word girl though I just love how it feels like mm -hmm. I just like girl because saying One. boyfriend is like I think like uh. since the 70s it's just been so like how it's said like in music boyfriend like it's fun to say something different can we hear another song for yeah. sure what are you gonna play for us the next one is called <laughs> Girly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That. We're putting out, a, we're just putting out a music video for the song, too. Cool. Uh, here we go live on Snacky Tunes.
you just got done or doing your first session for your new EP last weekend? Yeah. Two weekends ago? Mm -hmm. Uh, Where are you recording? What's the process? We are recording at Cowboy Recording Rig, I think is what it's called. Um, It's in Greenpoint with our friend Mario. He did girly as a single for us and just like nailed it really fast it was such an easy process so we decided to go back and work with him for this next ep and how has it evolved from the earlier work or is there any changes besides pronouns and thinking about (laughs) girls instead of guys oh you're talking about like like the musical recording part or the song the songs I think they're growing up as we're growing up. Yeah. I think musically and content-wise, it's shifted yeah, a, little. a little bit better. I wasn't <laughs> yeah. very... I can never play any... I still kind of fuck up on the ribs, but, like, now I can actually, like, nail them. Yeah. So, that, yeah, and yeah. then... I feel Sherry's a little more simple on the drums. She was a constant fill. The whole the first, the first year of Thick was as a fill. Yeah. I think we were taking more notice into parts and dynamics and really like breaking it down section by section if we want it to shift in a certain way or really have a buildup that's effective and trying to work on that as a band and make sure making sure that all three parts fit together mm-hmm. for every piece of the song in a way that we haven't necessarily dissected things as much in the yeah. past. It's I think a slightly it's, more thoughtful um, process. I think it's also really, it's like way easier now. I think being in a studio, I feel like we're like way tighter. Yeah. It's more, more like fluid. It's Fewer just, takes. Yeah. Do everything live. We know what we're like. We Screw a click track. Yeah. Yeah. Just like run with it. And you also have some upcoming shows as well, right? Yes. We are playing on November 6th at Elsewhere, which yes. just is opening up. Finally. On, Shout yeah. out to Rami and Jake. Yeah. I love those guys they're um, old friends of snacky tunes and oh, yeah. awesome. patiently Ooh, waiting sick. oh they're <laughs> so fantastic yeah. i'm really excited for that space i think yeah. it's going to be a really really good addition to yeah, brooklyn and bushwick yeah. particularly or um, even better like bringing back something that's been missing for like a couple years yes yeah r.i.p glasslands so nice i was just reminiscing about one of those shows the other day um but and then we're also playing at union pool on the 9th and then we're taking a break mm-hmm. and playing a new year's eve show at rough trade with diarrhea planet amazing that we're yeah. so stoked for because we're all giant fans of diarrhea <laughs> planet we were like that's all just, we want to do is play with diarrhea i think we're gonna retire after that show yeah we'll be done Thick is done so we're like so we're like at practice like a year or two ago and nicole's like all i want to do is just open up for diarrhea planet and that's it we're gonna retire so i guess we're retiring the next day yeah so we're done we're done yeah hopefully the ep gets finished before then We've got a month and a half, two months. Yeah. Two months. Oh, okay. We're good. Who gets to play um, for when the ball drops? Probably not us. Um, I, don't I don't know if I, the show will even go that late. Yeah. I have no idea. Oh. I assume Diary oh, Planet. I, I would assume that anything that's happening tonight, like, it you're, should. Like you're there. You're not going to. Why are we so? I hope they, they play. Kick us out at like what are they? Yeah, yeah. You're like bye. Eleven thirty. Like okay. Eleven fifty nine. This did not work out. I'm stuck in bed for that. I hope they play Ghost with a Boner on midnight. Oh yeah. On New Year's Eve. Can you make the request? Yeah. You can probably just be like, I'll hey, um, <laughs> well, we'll make, to- make sure we have time for one more song, but yep. where can people find you? Listen to Spotify, et cetera, Instagram. Spotify, Bandcamp, Instagram, Facebook. We, we are pretty findable, I think. Thick.band. Thick.band is our website. <laughs> it's actually true. Because you can actually make websites that are .band now. Um, and we, what else? I think Instagram's the most fun. Yeah. Thick in Music. Brooklyn. Thick, yeah, Thick yeah. in Brooklyn, Facebook, Instagram. Brooklyn spelled out. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. cool. Well, thanks for coming by. Uh, what are you going to take us out with? Uh, Luke's Diner, Puke's Diner. It's just, uh, yeah, that's what we're doing, Puke's Diner. Yeah, it has Great. two names. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with another live episode of Snacky Tunes. Here we go.
talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.